Hi, this is Possessor Moonlight. Hi, this is Freak on Alicia. Hi, I'm Georgia Haight. I'm October Grimsberg. And if you're listening to my disembodied voice, you are on the Bachelor of Hearts Halloween special. What do you boo with an R.I.P.? I'm kill not gore, I bones. I spooked evil jack-o'-lanterns just to boogie man tombstone. There must be some spider's web for a demon headless horrid. It's my only cauldron, honey. Vampire werewolf, mummy. Let your haunted hexes rest in peace. And curse us while we depart ah, ah, ah. From our bat chiller Black cat thriller Of haunts Hello And welcome back to the Bachelor of Hearts podcast The Bachelorette Australia Halloween themed apparently podcast that asks the question uh, Conrad's street address what is it <laughs> wait I, somehow in all the information I've gathered about these people I don't know why are you just curious that? you know I just feel like I, I want to observe how this man lives I feel like there's a lot that we could all learn from him so I want to know how he tricked the producers into casting him because it seems like the show has actually cast a decent man for once. Right. So you'd like to know whereabouts you could find perhaps like a man that doesn't completely suck? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just would um, like to, you know, see one without looking in the mirror. Sure. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, mm, the, it turns mm, out mm. there's another one. Two of a kind here on the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. My name is Max Quinn. Joining me as they always do is Xavier RN. Hi, Hang on, Xavier. I'm going to have to interrupt you. I'm, I'm sorry, but you've actually no, got the... You, okay, sorry, got, did I get I don't it know wrong? where you got your research from, but uh, actually, uh, my name is I Spit on Your Gravy uh, Rugetowski oh, oh. Ruget Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm, and okay. joining me, as always, is my co-ghost. Oh, Christ. House of Max... Let the right one, Quinn. Right? You've, uh, you've heard of horror movies? No. Well, as a special treat or trick, perhaps, uh. we are welcoming a special guest to our podcast for the very first time this week. You may have seen our guest on Ick Shock, on the, the, on the new trendy social networking uh, video platform, Ick Shock. You know, oh no! Uh, or read some of her gories for oh goodness the the goblin, <laughs> the goblin <laughs> Australia is the best I could do. Okay, only the Australian calls us that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe you've heard her on her podcasts, uh, the beach that makes you old boys club, uh, and me, my dad, and the Dracula. She was the 2019 Walkleying Dead student journalist of the fear. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Please welcome our guest, Makilda Bonesley. Oh my gosh. That I I I'm leaving. I actually can't bring anything more to the podcast than what's already been Look, brought. A so. lot of people want to leave at this point. It's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Glad glad I'm 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 going true to form. Uh Matilda. Matilda Bosley is your real name. Thank you so much for being on the pod. 
thank you so much for having me on the pod after I uh, just messaged you saying, please have me on the pod. I love the pod. <laughs> Which I'm not sure is like how normally the guests get invited. This wasn't like the classy sort of exclusive way, but I did what I had to oh, do. Oh, I respect the hustle. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, look, if you'd like to join the conversation with us uh, and a bunch of your best friends, you can do so. Uh, in the Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group on Facebook, which is where you can find everything you need. Probably an MP3 download of the Halloween song if you want it for your MP3 play- player. I can make uh, that available, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that that's probably absolutely fine. And we have so much to get through in these episodes. Matilda, I'm so thankful that you are here with us getting through what I thought were two pretty exciting episodes of The Bachelorette. I don't know, maybe uh, your individual mileage may vary. Xavi. Can I can I start with you before we go any further? Was were these good episodes? I kind of liked them. I feel yeah. like there were good spots in both of them. Um, I had a kind of a tough time with p- parts of some of them. Okay, um, I thought the first one had very strange pacing. Um, okay, and there were long stretches of it where I felt quite uninspired. Um, but on the whole. There were some big and good moments that I am excited to talk about. <laughs> These are the nuanced takes that I come to you for, though, because I sit here and I feel like I'm like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> Matilda, where do you stand? So I'm I'm really enjoying it for like everything that it is and represents. This week filled me with a little bit of fear that actually nothing is going to happen this mm. season. Mm. Like... I it, and also like I feel like we've seen most of the drama that was even like promo yeah. in the season so far with like the exception of the I don't know the the big scandal for next week or whatever but so I'm a little bit I was a bit like oh we've settled in the kind of you know the the new the the shininess the newness the absolute sort of shining brilliance of Brooke um has you know become the norm mm. and I'm worried that actually they may have just cast like just fairly nice people mm. and nothing's going to happen. And that that fills me with a little bit of dread for a Halloween special. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be filled with dread. I thought that there were a couple of really funny moments uh, in these episodes. Yeah. Particularly, I laughed a lot at the um, bumper car date, but there was a lot of good stuff in there. Mm, and okay. then also mm. a part in the second episode that made me quite angry. So I'm really excited to break this all down. Okay, great. I, I, I always feel that I'm smarter than the producers mm. and like I always I'm like I would know better. I know how to make this show good. If only they would give it to me, I could perfect mm. it. And then they do what I want them to do and I'm like, it's a good, you actually, you I, I see why you have your job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love? Like healthy boundaries, people just like communicating well and then when they like do, I'm like, come on, we need like a Kira. We need, see, I feel right. like people have got too aware, you know, like I need like someone who's just purely a terrible person. Everyone else can be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know. Okay, so we're looking mm. for some amount of spice to balance this out. I think that person might have joined the cast this week. Mm, I think you may be right. Well, look, listeners, gather around the cauldron. With us, Xavi, I am wondering if you might have some news as we move into a Batch World Catch-Up. Absolutely. Uh, in spooky news, I guess, former Australian Bachelorette and present-day anti-vax superstar Sam Frost will not be able to return to work on Home and Away next year unless she is vaccinated against COVID-19. Whew. Sam Frost has continued to work at Home and Away in her role playing a nurse, which I found out this week. 
Uh, that's, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's deeply cursed. That's, it's, but I also know real nurses who have lost their jobs because they won't get vaccinated. Yep. So that's not even the worst. <sighs> yep. That's true. That it, there, there, is, there is that group of people. Uh, she has had that job since 2017. She has been taking three COVID tests a week as she is required to. But according to the Herald Sun, uh, the director of production at Seven West Media, Andrew Backwell, emailed all staff last week informing them that the network, quote, will only engage fully vaccinated presenters, cast and crew from January 10th, 2022, in order to provide the safest possible work environment. Sam Frost deactivated her Instagram account on October 9th after posting a breathlessly emotional video in which she spoke out about the judgment and, quote, segregation that she had received after choosing not to be vaccinated. However, this week, she returned to Instagram, and in an Instagram story, she shared thanks for the enormous amount of love and support over the past few weeks from friends, family, and presumably the wider vaccine-hesitant community. She also shared a grid post showing off a new hairstyle given to her by her onset stylist, a luxury currently only afforded to vaccinated members of the public in New South Wales. This whole thing is is messy. And I just feel like the, the timing of reactivating the Instagram page uh, now that this announcement has gone out means like surely she will be using that big social media audience that she has to talk more about this i hope not but we will see i guess i say this just sort of enviously because i'm wearing piggy tails not out of a sort of like joyous childhood wonder (laughs) i'm wearing piggy tails by the way i just remembered it's a non-visual medium uh i'm doing it because my hair is terrible and i can't get a haircut appointment so you know just like thanks for rubbing it in whatever uh story number two this has been another interesting week for the bachelorette's ratings This Wednesday night's episode three, which we will talk about soon, brought in a shockingly low 253,000 overnight viewers, a new low for the series and almost 30% lower than the previous basement. Basement is like a horror thing, maybe. I don't know. Uh, But it's not all doom and gloom. We now have a slightly better picture of the actual ratings for last week's episodes now that the consolidated ratings, which combine overnight data with streaming numbers and other non-live viewing, have been released. So the total view accounts for last week's episodes are now 754,000 and 676,000 respectively which are both larger numbers than anything we've seen since Loki's finale last year. So this seems like a pretty good sign for the show. Uh, you know, streaming numbers are not necessarily worth as much to the network as live broadcast viewers, but it proves that there is demonstrably still an audience there. It remains to be seen how Channel 10 will interpret this information and put it into action. But as we reported last week, The Bachelor and Bachelorette are confirmed to be returning next year. I suppose there is a model for this, which is Love Island, which rates really well for younger demographics and then streams really highly on demand. And yeah. so the concern that I would see is can Channel 10 afford from a an endorsement standpoint to keep the show in a 7.30 Wednesday and Thursday time slot and... Uh, is it worth it to them to then bump it back to 8.30 knowing that they have further streams on demand on the way? Mm. But all in all, I think this goes to show that, uh, you know, it was a a bit of a to-do that the show bombed, the show uh, did terribly. uh, Like, and I don't think that that is, that can be considered true now that we know how well the show was received. More than double its viewership came from on-demand viewing. 
Yeah, there are people who are saying like, oh, this justifies Channel 10 moving it to exclusively for 10 play. I can't see them doing that. I think it's too big for that. I don't think they would get nearly the amount of streaming audience if there was not also a broadcast element. Um, and I think that the live broadcast is important in the sense that it gets people live tweeting and creating, you know, all of that content at, at the time, which is a huge part of how people remember to come back to it during the week and that sort of thing. I was going to say, if they take away the live broadcast, the live tweeting The Bachelor is the only thing that brings me joy anymore <laughs> as well. Um, Bachelor is such a communal experience. Mm, definitely. Like, I watch it on speakerphone with my parents mm-hmm. in three different group chats with friends, live tweeting it and then, like, watching everyone else's tweets, all that. Like, I, it's 100% of my brain capacity to the point where, like, when you said, like, let's talk about week two, I'm like, I don't know what happened in week three. I only know what I make jokes about. <laughs> I went and rewatched <laughs> But, like, it's such... I feel like I know that this is, well, actually, no, it's not worth anything to the network. I'm like, doesn't the network understand the community? The was <laughs> like, no, the community makes them no money. Right. Um, and the community's just making fun of them for making a terrible show that we all love. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I've been treating the ratings like um, the COVID numbers now where yeah. it's like, yeah. we can't, we can't, we have to learn to actually like just live in the <laughs> new world, you know? <laughs> like, I say this, I work in the news. I do not ignore the COVID numbers at all. I wish I could escape them. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, it's, you know, that's a number that I don't need to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a number that it's not my business. So. Right. Yep. Uh, I'm going to save the third story this week, which is about Rithu uh, until later in the episode. Um, just in case any of our dear listeners have not watched these episodes, uh, I don't know, based on those numbers, if there could possibly be anyone who hasn't <laughs> watched them. Uh, but if anybody's just hearing about it for the first time from us, we'll talk about it when it becomes relevant at the end of this first recap. But honestly, now I feel like it is time for us to knife deep into The Bachelorette Australia Season 7, Episode 3. Knife is like a horror thing. I don't know if you guys... Oh. So I wasn't sure you could tell from the look of sheer tolerance on my face. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I got it. Yeah, okay, yeah. um, You know, I maybe expected one of you to erupt into uproarious (laughs) laughter, but, you know, that's fine. I understand. Uh, We'll get there. Uh, We open on Brooke driving down a country road in a red convertible before ITMing, I'm taking Holly on a date today. We recap Holly's slow dance on the red carpet and Brooke ITMs that this is her first date with a girl in a while, but she's excited to learn more about Holly and what she is looking for. They hop into this car, which bears a passing resemblance to Christine, the haunted car from the Stephen King novel in the John Carpenter movie of the same name. It's a Halloween episode. Um, And then they they toot-toot chugga-chug around uh, for a little bit before pulling up at a country house where Brooke is going to reveal a surprise. Can I just say, Brooke spends a lot of time being like, oh my gosh, driving in a car with this woman, you know, convertible. It feels like a movie. It's Mm. so great. But like... It does feel like a movie, but it's also like very clear to me that Brooke doesn't realize the movie that she's thinking of is Thelma and Louise and the scene she's thinking of is when they drive off the cliff. It doesn't end all that well for them. Like, I'm not just even saying that as like, haha, that's a fun joke. No, I genuinely think that that's what she's thinking of and she just hasn't put it together Mm, just yet. Yeah. So the surprise that Brooke reveals is that they have to stay all night in this haunted mansion and if they survive, they win a million dollars. 
Uh, Holly's been given nothing but a steak. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a double date, but someone was already killed right. in, the, in the mountain <laughs> beforehand. And the two elderly caretakers who warn them not to go in there alone are also professional dancers, Jared and Kyla, who are there to teach Holly and Brooke how to salsa dance. Uh, I assume that the dancing like fends off monsters or something. How how do you think the <laughs> Halloween premise is treating you guys? I can't stop. <laughs> Not a Halloween premise, but um, can you imagine how insulting it is to be a professional dancer and then rock up to a date where someone takes you on a dance lesson? Oh my god, it's oh. crazy! What? <laughs> That's so mean. Like you could have picked anybody for this. You brought me. Uh, we watch Brooke and Holly dance together. And Brooke ITMs that dancing so close and learning something together, it's like building a bond. I couldn't take my eyes off her. It feels really magnetic, like we draw each other close. And I do think you kind of feel it. I think they do a pretty good job here of of building this sort of intimacy. Um, After the dance lesson, we immediately cut to much later that night. New outfits, new hair and makeup. They're set up at a batchy couch with a couple of glasses of red. And Brooke says, I was supposed to be taking the lead, but I feel like secretly you were kind of leading me. But that's all right. It takes two to tango. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. She was leading you. She's a dancer. (laughs) And then we get this conversation that absolutely astonished me. Um, This was the highlight of the fortnight for me. I kind of could not believe that I was seeing it on TV, let alone on Batchy. Brooke asks about Holly's previous relationships and Holly says she had a long-term male partner, but hasn't had a girlfriend that she's wanted to bring home to her family. She says, I have also never felt the need to come out. I just came home one day and was like, I'm going on a date with a chick. And mom's like, okay. Brooke says, so your parents have never seen you with a girl. They've only seen you with a boy. So what are you looking for in a relationship? Is it a girl? Because obviously you're here. I can't be the bachelor. I'm the bachelorette. She's kind of laughing while she says this. Holly says, gender is something, I don't know if this will come out right, but I don't care. I don't care if you're a guy. I don't care if you're a girl. For me, it's always been about who you are on the inside. I think the only issue that I've ever had is because I've not had a girlfriend, people have been like, oh, are you actually bi? And doubted me for it and questioned my conviction, my honesty and my truth. When I say I'm here and it doesn't matter what gender, that's what I mean but I know who I am and I wouldn't be here if I didn't. This scene uh, did legitimately make me cry because yeah, uh, that is just just my experience, just mm. word for word, Yeah, just straight up. Um, uh, then I also did feel inferior because they're all both just being so beautiful and like I really don't care about, you know, someone's body. I don't care about someone's gender. I just love them for who they are. And I'm like, I don't know. I just like think boobs and abs are really hot like <laughs> i'm not i'm not that kind of like spiritual bisexual i'm just like the, you know what I'm like i just think people are really hot i it, don't know this is not as like spiritually like yeah. wholesome as these girls it's really interesting you say that because there there is kind of a dichotomy there between like well i don't i'm not saying that there are only two kinds of bisexual or whatever but like they're they're presenting it with a level of purity that i don't know like maybe it's aspirational in the sense that a lot of things on this show are um, or like, I don't know that necessarily every person who is not heterosexual has the same perspective on it. So you're saying that there are like three kinds of bisexual or like four? How how Name how many? <laughs> As a spokesperson for the bisexual community, I'll say a bunch. 
I think like I think they're going to such lengths to like make sure they don't just represent like bisexual people as just like horny monsters, but like as just like a little <laughs> horny bisexual, I don't feel represented, you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe next season. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brooke says, that's all I really needed to hear, and I would never judge you. I look at all my different partners and they're girls and guys, and some of them have done transitions and they're non-binary. And I'm like, I love each and every one of them for their different reasons. And I know that what, what they've taught me. So I completely and utterly get that. It's not about physical things. It's not about genitalia for them, at least. We get it, Brooke. <laughs> You're better than us. <laughs> All my life, people have tried to put me into boxes, label me. And I think you set your own path and nothing really defines you unless you want it to. I truly felt so seen and so represented by this moment and this conversation as a bisexual person who does not have a lot of actual like relationship or sexual experience with guys. I absolutely relate to Holly's perspective here. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that I'm not the only one. And I think that feeling not queer enough is such a universal part of the queer experience um, for all types of people. Um, but I think particularly for young people, I think it's especially relevant to bisexual and pansexual people. And I think that this was handled pretty well by production and really well by Brooke, who also broadens the conversation to include non-binary people and trans people for what I think must be the first time either of those groups have ever been mentioned or even acknowledged in a Bachelor show. Like, that's big. Yeah. And like, it, I mean, this is my experience as well. I've had two long-term relationships. I'm in a relationship with a person I'm probably going to die with, right. um, hopefully at a, at a, at a long age. In a, see how you go. It's a Halloween episode. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Could um, be this very night. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It would be Bo. Look for him if, uh, if I get to see um, But... <laughs> That's slander, actually. I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm joking. We talk um, too much satirical. about your workplace for us to be able to make accusations like that. <laughs> but it is just this thing. And I think one thing that, I mean, look, maybe uh, that I thought was really good was acknowledging that also that sort of invisibility and that sort of sense of being invalidated comes from all sides, which is right. like this interesting thing about bisexuality. And it's also, you know, like I'm not trying to be like, mm, I'm in a straight rela- or a straight presenting relationship and therefore I'm the most depressed. Like right, obviously sure. not. Yes. But it is this sort of interesting thing where you kind of have straight and queer people often have me and, and I'm assuming other people in my sort of situation as a bit of a blind spot. Mm. And that was a really, really interesting thing to actually sort of hear spoken about because it's yeah it's just like this unique kind of bisexual experience and I don't Mm. know it was and just that whole like I kind of didn't come out and like you just kind of coast and like be straight until proven otherwise is just like spoke so much to my own experience and my own sort of early late teens early 20s yeah yeah can I ask Matilda you're you're on the phone with your dad as you're doing this you guys uh have done a a batchy podcast together my dad and the bachelor how's he responding as you're experiencing if you don't mind me asking these feelings of supreme validation yeah it's been really interesting having the conversations with him and like I think I like probably just sort of out of my own nerves I was like oh gosh how is this going to be like talking about this really Mm. in depth um but and you know I think over the last 
I mean, I, I wrote <laughs> I wrote a big article like speaking about all of this and like officially like coming out because I was like, mm, I've told like my close friends so the next and my parents and so the next step is um, a national yeah. Yeah. Every single newspaper. person. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm really, really glad that this season's come out the year after doing that because it's like in not absolutely in no way reflecting my parents but I always just felt so uncomfortable talking about it because I hadn't like I was projecting all this which I now realize was like my own kind of insecurity and my own you know internalized biphobia and my own uncomfortable mm. being uncomfortable with my sexuality onto not just my parents but everyone yeah. mm. um this last year has been really kind of freeing to actually be able to start talking about that with my parents, with, you know, my friends, with my boyfriend, like actually having those proper conversations about my own sexuality. And so you actually like, I'm so glad that I'm doing this now. Or like that I, this season has come out now where I'm in such more of a comfortable spot with my sexuality. And it's been like really, really great to speak with my dad about it. And also like, I know this sounds, but like almost how just not phased he is, with like the show being different at all. Like it's not, I've never had to correct any of my parents, you know, my parents at all doing this. And like, I know that I'm like a little nerd being a 25 year old, like on the phone to her parents to watch The Bachelor. But like, I don't know, it's been really reaffirming and like watching Mm -hmm. the seasons like made me feel so much more comfortable speaking to them about this stuff as well. It's just been nice. And and it's also like, there's a few people, uh, their reactions to the season that I'm like, oh, well, we aren't going to have combos. Yeah, <laughs> luckily, yep. not yeah. any of my friends or anything like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. that's uh, yeah, part of it, isn't it? The the discourse, and you're like, oh, you, you, okay. Oh, how have you found us? Have you seeing this on TV? Yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, I, I I definitely echo a lot of what you're saying. It it has been really great. I feel like it, I it, it is so inspiring to me and um and heartwarming. Um, thinking about the other people that are being affected by it as well. And like, as we're talking about the bachelor as a communal experience, like um, just knowing that there are like, like as Brooke keeps saying, like little 10 year old Brooks around the country who are seeing this and feeling represented and that kind of stuff. Like that speaks to me a lot. Um, And I do, I approach this show every season with a sort of precarious sort of like walking on eggshells, waiting for something to go wrong. Um, And that part of me is still there, but so far, like I have felt really included in this and it has felt, uh, yeah, really wonderful. Like it is like a weirdly like warming feeling, uh, to relate to this on a deeper level than I'm used to. I've definitely spoken about being bisexual publicly more in the past two weeks. Oh yeah. Than the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. I've never <laughs> talked about it on the podcast before. We've been doing it for like five years. It's just yeah. like, you know, which on some level feels like. I'm, my imposter syndrome is just like, oh, why are you only bringing this now? Like, that's very convenient or whatever. But like. Oh, just want Brooke to like you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's I think it's pretty wonderful. The reason that it's interesting is because it hasn't happened yet. And that's a problem. Like, yes, it's baby steps. But like, if you were doing a podcast about a baby every week for five years and then the baby finally started walking after that all that time, you would be pretty excited about those first few steps. You know what I mean? Okay, where am I? I just pressed a button and now just the word genitalia is on screen. That can't be right. <laughs> that really can't be right. Uh, it's the opposite of what Brooke would have wanted. <laughs> I think this seems right to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe how lost I got. Okay, uh, Holly gets a rose and a kiss from Brooke and ITMs that there's a real spark between them and it's just beginning. Beautiful. We love it. 
Anyway, we cut to a group date, which is so boring. Uh, I'm bearing the lead here. This group date is apparently designed to explore compatibility. Um, so the bungee cords and the huge inflatable stage, you know, they help in a very obvious way that I won't bother explaining with the compatibility side of things. What's the, da- is this the snippy scissors one? No, we didn't get to that yet. Jesus. See, what this is, is what this I mean. Date? The previous no bit memory. has been deleted from your brain. They're like tied up to bungee cords. They have to, du- they're on a inflatable obstacle course. They have to run into the center of the obstacle course, grab a heart. Oh. This is all burned into my memory. I don't know oh, why. They have to grab a heart happens. and take it back out. Like this, why does this happen? For what reason? Okay, I can, uh, yeah, I think I can explain it Please. to you. We just had a really big thing that happened that has made a whole heap of people feel validated and seen you're also a commercial television network and there are definitely people going i'm a bit confused and scared and weirded out by this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where's the traditional batchy running and in, uh, jumping into stuff the silly that I, nonsense that i adore. silly nonsense that i love so much mm. and so what i think that this is is we had this really big deep scary um oops australia we've exposed this to you for the first time i'm sure this is touching a nerve in all kinds of communities that uh for good for good and for bad reasons um for for beautiful and for bigoted reasons the, um all, all of a sudden blah here's he, jump in the water grab a heart go go you yeah, know what yeah, i mean yeah. like it feels like the um uh, a really strategic thing to do even though i've completely forgotten it well also if we can shoehorn this in uh, in another direction It's like a mm. horror movie You can't just have people getting stabbed constantly Throughout the entire thing There needs to be some like ebb and flow And build up And the pacing of it is what's important However, I just don't think the pacing is particularly good here And so, yeah The group is weeded down to five contenders David, Kurt, Jess, Emily and Steve Who participate in the second round Which is your standard Like, here's the thing The second round is also Like, that one was too short and boring This one is so long Uh and it is a very standard, like, guess the same answer as the lead and you get to proceed, which I've just realized rhymes. So that's a Tisha. Uh, <laughs> this time you have to trim heart strings, which are attached to a big heart cutout um, in order to make it meaningfully different from every other time they've played this. And we learn a whole bunch of really important things, such as Brooke sleeps with a top sheet. She likes to cook food to comfort a, comfort a partner. And on a Friday night, she likes to watch a crime thriller, which like we never, why don't we use this opportunity as like to talk about things that might matter on any level? Because last time they did that, someone got bullied by an entire nation, as it turns out, for not wanting to have children. That's true. That's actually a really good point. I wonder if they've completely stripped the like (laughs) the any troubling aspect out of this or whatever. Like, we accidentally did permanent emotional damage to Abby Chatfield. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, do you have a top sheet? Yeah, let's make it fluff. Vibe. Let's make it, like, you know, tomato sauce in the fridge or in the shelf or whatever. Um, there's also several, in fact, like, way too many questions about dealing with money. Um, there's, like, three out of the five questions or something, which I learned after the fact these were just inserted because ANZ Bank is a sponsor of the show. And so they oh. they used this segment in their social media marketing throughout the week. And they were like, are you like Brooke? Do you have a spreadsheet for your money? If oh. not, come and join the bank, you know? I thought it was weird next episode in the go-kart day after they untangled the fairy lights that they had to set up an, an ANZ, you know, everyday saver account <laughs> on their phone really quickly because it only takes like five minutes. You yeah, don't need yeah, to go yeah. to a permanent bank, you know. <laughs> that explains it. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. 
Um, but this segment is also used to sell uh, this narrative that we will probably talk about a bit more of like everybody hates David um, because he's already had some time with Brooke. So he can't have any more time with Brooke. This is one of the more tenuous narrative threads, I think. Uh, and it gets a little more so. Uh, there's also like a girls versus boys narrative for no reason. They don't really cash in on that yet. Although it sort of seems to be a theme running throughout these, which I'm not wild about. I feel like this talks this this feels like the right time to talk a bit more about the pacing of this episode though. Um I did a little I ran a little uh uh statistical analysis or whatever. You get your stopwatch out? I did. I did. I I looked at it and the group date takes up over 15 minutes of screen time. Uh most of which is this very tedious second round where we're not really learning anything. The really nice single date with Holly that we talked about at the start of the episode that was like a healing moment for people all around the country lasts about 10 minutes. I also found it a bit surprising that the prize for this date is not extra time with Brooke as it normally would be, but it's just an automatic rose. Mm. I have never really seen this before. I watch a lot of this show. Um, it feels like this maybe was a decision just informed by a desire to reduce the episode runtime um, rather than like put in an extra bit of chat. I assume that they had a date and we just got it cut out, but like, was I, it just that you got a rose? I was looking for signs of that because that that's kind of my inclination as well is like they've sort of trimmed around it or whatever. But like you, I think you see Osha like say while he's there that they're competing for a rose or whatever. And you see Emily rush over and grab the rose. Um, I guess maybe they could have staged it or something. I just feel like this is not a more efficient way to help Brooke find love. Like if that is the stated goal of this show... Uh, you would want to provide an opportunity for her to talk to that person and realize that they were going to send them home the next episode, which is what ends yeah. up happening with Emily. Is it possible know? that Brooke has already realized that she's not picking up what Emily is putting down? And she was like, I wonder if Brooke has a decline option in her in her contract. Yeah, I wonder. So Emily gets the rose and Brooke in ITM says, with compatibility on track, who knows where this could go? Um, but I just like, particularly, you know, the combination of the length of this group date with knowing what happens in the next episode that Emily, despite winning the rose here is going to get sent home. I'm just like, why do we bother watching all of this? Why stretch it out so much? It doesn't matter. Anyway, we cut to the cocktail party. We watch as the group date people talk through all the stuff that happened on the group date to the non group date people. It just felt like padding. I'm sorry to be complaining so much on this episode. I do like to show. No, this episode, this episode was a bit of a flop. Mm. I think we're, uh, I mean, <laughs> Brooke appears with a long braided ponytail with extensions. Holly says it's giving Ariana Grande. Holly, by the way, gets pulled away first by Brooke, who says, I miss you as they hug. Brooke says, did you enjoy our day? Have you thought about me? And Holly laughs and says, yes. I like that. But also, where's Emily's outrage about Holly having some I know. Oh, extra time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, got a rose now. Not, not, don't care don't, as much. No, don't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Not coming out. Interesting when not the coming shoes out on the other the foot. Scissors. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Mm. So we revisit the storyline with David. Um, Rithu asks him, knowing that Emily's safe tonight, would it bother you if she went and had a conversation with Brooke? And David replies, not at all. Emily ITMs that talking to Brooke wasn't in her itinerary of things to do at the cocktail party anyway. And then we get heavy dramatic strings playing in the background as David calmly explains, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not thinking about this week. I'm genuinely thinking how much can I get in in a small amount of time? 
I'm not thinking, wow, I'm safe this week. I'm good. I'll talk to her next week. I'm not just going to ease off the pedal and sit in, sit in the mansion. And Rithu in ITM says, she's kind of impressed by his ability to just go after what he wants. Fuck yeah. Which I agree. And th- this feels like one of the more interesting things about this episode to me. In my opinion, David is playing exactly by the rules of the game. Like yes. you should, as a player of the sport of The Bachelor, be utilizing every single possible second. Like that should be your your firm, you know, uh, focus. Um, mm. But it was really surprising for him to see to to see him getting a bad edit for doing exactly that. I didn't read it as a bad edit. Maybe Me I just neither. wasn't paying enough attention. Oh, okay. Well, no, I could be I, wrong. I thought Emily, came, like, I thought that was sort of saying, like, haha, he trumped Emily. Because, like, right. Emily's clearly just got in her own head. Like, that's not a woman who survives without a phone. I think, I think she's been thinking too much about this. Um, <laughs> I wonder. And then, like, he makes, like, a really good point. So I sort of saw that as, like, a win for David. Who, right. Me too. Full disclosure, don't really care that much about, but liked mm. him in that moment. I like David a lot. I think that he, uh, he seems really genuine and gentle and kind. Uh, and I probably wanted to feel empathetic and like I, I might have wanted him to win that conversation um, mm. or that argument with Emily. And I also, I don't know, I also feel like I wasn't really picking up that much personally from from Emily. I wasn't getting that good energy from her that I would want as a fan. So in watching that, I definitely, I think I had a side, but I read it in the same way as you, Matilda, in thinking here's point and here is counterpoint and it turns out that uh david has returned serve and it was it was way better and now how does tennis work emily is out question mark i don't know but they're both on um something love the yeah bang <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> well brooke knows what it's like to receive the first impression rose and have a target on your back so brooke takes david away to the same indoor location that they chatted in last week I'm interested in this. I'm plotting the mansion out on a big map on a whiteboard in my room. It's not true. Um, but like, I feel like David has a spot specifically marked out for him, which I think is worth paying attention to, mm. um, particularly because it appeared very early in the show. I wonder if Brooke was just like, I like David. I want him to stick around whenever we have a chat. Let's go take it in there, you know? Well, I mean, unfortunately, the one who really should have had his own spot as Conrad and oh. we know how that ended. <sighs> we do. God, you're so right. I wonder if that love seat was still there. That's a great question. Just in the rain. What has happened to it? I think every time you see a roaring fire in the mansion, you know that Jess has been throwing the love seat in <laughs> bit by bit. Probably right. <laughs> uh, David says, in this environment, you question things more than usual. I know that we have a connection and I'm obviously attracted to you. Brooke says, likewise. And David says, it's just nice to hear it sometimes. And Brooke says that I'm attracted to you. Of course I am. And then they kiss for a basically unprecedented 50 seconds, uninterrupted. Stopwatches out. Uh, there's an oboe melody, which interplays with these rich, sonorous piano chords. And it's incredibly tender and sweet. And then David says, I'm in trouble, hey? And Brooke says, only if you want to be, which is like maybe the hottest thing anyone has ever said in history. And then we see them embrace and Brooke rests her head on David's shoulder for another like 20 full seconds before they then start to kiss again. This whole thing is like a minute and a half where there's basically no dialogue. And then, you know, it's eventually it's interrupted by an ITM where Brooke says, 
I just know that he really cares for me. I don't have to ask him. I can feel that he's laid it all out on the table and that's all you could ask for. But like, how about this like real moment of like slow, subtle tenderness? We're talking about pacing. Yeah. Which is so interesting because fuck, they earned every second of that 130, 140 seconds that they spent with the kiss and the head on the shoulder, the whole thing. Whereas that whole group date was so forgettable that like it, my brain is just like, it doesn't exist, you yeah. know? Well, I, I 10 out of, uh, once again, I'm saying that I'm smarter than the producers and they probably <laughs> are right. But like in my mind, I'm like, I would have just watched, you know, the Taj conversation and the, you know, Carissa conversation. I mean, yeah, I, sure. I, I, next episode, my feelings change. But at this time, I was like, give me more Carissa. I like it. <laughs> you know, and mm. it's like, I would have taken that, like, just cut out the squid game thing and just, like, yeah. have the hearts. Give me more I don't chat. Know. Yeah, yeah. I don't really. Or just, like, give us a shot of an ANZ bank card and just <laughs> oh, cut out great, everything, you know? Yeah, I oh guess my God. they feel like they're beholden to it probably, like, A, because they shot it and they're like, we can't literally burn all of that footage. And B, there needs to be some kind of in in-game explanation for why there are only five people participating in the set. Although, you know what? It is completely arbitrary who gets to go on the group date at any point anyway. Um, I have I have obviously taken detailed notes on who has been invited to which group dates. Uh, there's only like eight people invited on this group date in total. So they're only eliminating a few. So I'm like, why bother showing that first part at all? It sucked. Nobody liked it. So we cut to the rose ceremony. Holly and Emily have their roses, but one person has to be sent home, and the rose order is as follows. David, Carissa, Conrad, Kurt, Beck, Matt, Steve, Ryan, Jamie Lee, Tej, and Jess. And so in a move which truly shocked me, Rithu is sent home, seemingly for absolutely no reason. Um, on rewatch, I noticed audio of somebody whispering, I saw it coming, while Rithu is hugging Jamie Lee while faced away from the camera. I think it's impossible to say for sure. I, it seems as though she said it. Like she was like, I figured I was going home. Um, Pretty brutal if it's someone else. Well, that's mm. true. Yeah. I was like, look, I didn't see her say it, so I don't know. But I'm like, that, what a gross thing for somebody else to say. I hope it's not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as Rithu is walking out, we are inexplicably given Jamie Lee's perspective in voiceover saying, I'm thankful that I hopefully get a chance to show Brooke that I'm here for her. I've put everything on the line here. I can see a future with her and I don't want anybody else. We don't get any kind of exit interview or any kind of closure. Um, it's a very perplexing editing choice, if you ask me. It sheds light on what apparently was some kind of shitty treatment that Rithu faced on the show this season. So this is like where I'm segueing into our other news piece. Um, Rithu was interviewed by Alicia Vrajlal in a fantastic piece for Refinery29 this week, which I'll link to in the description in which she discusses feeling tokenized at times during filming. Um, she's pretty clear that she didn't experience direct racism, but, quote, as to be expected, I did feel tokenized purely because I was one of the only few queer POC actually involved with the show. Sharing the parts of myself that are more Indian-centric seemed to become a focus, but I didn't initially see this as a concern. I decided to wear one of my own dresses... She's speaking about a traditional Indian salwa kameez to the episode two cocktail party uh, because it represents a part of who I actually am. And she talks about the importance of greater ethnic and LGBTQAI representation on screen. She says, I certainly don't see many queer POC on Australian TV. 
there is a huge deficit in this kind of representation, and it very much, very much exists in real life. Um, and she says, I feel that if the opportunity to get to know Brooke had been presented, we would have been able to actually understand one another and who we are. But we had very short interactions. So when I was eliminated, I really thought as though I wasn't really given a chance. And then also in a very powerful and simultaneously very entertaining TikTok, which was sent to me by a few lovely people this week, Rithu's sister um, agrees that the surface level representation on this season is not that different to the rest of the show and the rest of the media landscape. She says, they think that just having POCs in the background, they deserve an award for that. The reason my sister wanted to go on the show is to represent the Indian community and show other Indian queers that it is okay to be queer, and she got to show none of it. There's not much more we can say beyond what they have both very uh, astutely pointed out, that like she fully was a completely background character. It It is a complicated thing in the sense that like anybody who gets sent home in the first couple of episodes basically gets this exact kind of treatment where... Is inherently a background character yeah. because they don't matter to the narrative. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that, like, there is any malice towards her specifically because of her race or anything like that. I mean, I guess, like, I don't know. If if, if Brooke didn't vibe with her, she didn't vibe with her. But mm. it's like, I don't know. It felt, it just felt like, oh, okay, we're not, we're not breaking every boundary. We're still going to yeah. have the people of colour kicked out week three, you know. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it was just a bit of a, like, ah. Uh, Okay. And I guess also when we're talking about the pacing of these episodes and like what things are being included and what things aren't, like I'm sure there was some conversation between Brooke and Rithu that just kind of didn't didn't make it to air or whatever, or they cut around. Maybe it wasn't that interesting. Has every single second of this entire show been super interesting? Not necessarily, you know. It it may it may it, I feel like there's there could have been a little more um like active effort put into uh this decision but you know it is what it is yeah look based on the bios uh alone rithu was one of my picks yeah thought that she would be a fantastic character on this season it's a shame that it didn't work out that way it's a shame uh that that that's what her experience was at the same time exactly as you said matilda if brooke's not feeling it then then brooke's not feeling it and to a certain extent uh i really respect that she came on the show to uh what did she say show other indian women that it's okay to be a queer indian woman i'm paraphrasing yeah uh, that's what her sister said about her but yeah that's yeah right yeah 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 whereas i feel like there might be other people who there who are there to get with brooke you know yeah um and i think that that's you know i think that there are myriad reasons why someone can be sent home it's just a shame that uh we didn't get to see more of of the cool person who rithu seems to be Mm. Uh, She concludes this interview by saying, my plans now post-show are very much career-driven and to ensure that I can use my socials to be a voice for South Asian LGBTQIA plus identities in Australia. So we will, without question, be keeping our eyes on Rithu's socials, especially her Instagram page, which now that we're talking about it, I I built this segue into my own conversation. Uh, They've seen a little bump this week of 191 followers bringing her overall gain while on the show to 653. All right, let's talk about The Bachelorette Australia Season 7 episode. Saw? I just thought of that. It's not It's very good. terrible. It's very good. Thank you, Matilda. I appreciate that. Since date cards have been made illegal, we launch right into a single date with hot tradie Conrad. 
uh, we see Brooke posing atop a Harley Davidson motorcycle. Motorcycle. <laughs> uh, I'm into it. I I just was trying to work out what the Halloween pun was. Oh, but... uh, no, no, didn't think that <laughs> no. far ahead. No. Uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just into the idea that we can infantilize this big vroom vroom bike. Yeah, you know? yeah. We had it's the two chugga chugga before, and yeah, now we have yeah, the motorcycle. I'm guessing they might have borrowed this motorcycle from Jimmy Nicholson, or maybe from Richie Strawn, or maybe from the Honey Badger. Wasn't this the date where he covered Brooke's mic and was like, I'm not going to pick you? Fully. Yes. Right? Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not ideal. No. Yeah, I, I was wondering about this. Like, it's kind of fucked up the more I think about it in the sense that, like, this this is the date that got Brooke, like, that made Brooke leave. Like, that made her yeah. decide to no longer be on the show. I wonder... You know, if on, at least on paper or at least in the planning stages, this is some kind of attempt on the producer's part to try and draw a parallel between Conrad and Nick Cummins. Oh, like, and I don't, to look at it as like atonement. Yeah. Well, like, I don't think that they're actually really similar, but, you know, like they have, they both have a kind of a, like a loosey goosey energy. One's a tradie. The other one sells tradie underwear. Oh, yep. true. Mm. I feel like Conrad would also save like a, a, a ram from a wire fence. Did you see that video? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Saving the ram. That had real Conrad energy. So. True, actually. Yeah. It's a good point. I think it is funny that so many of the men from The Bachelor, or mo- so many of The Bachelors have made obnoxiously being a motorcycle bad boy their thing. Like, I can point to a few of them. Like, Jimmy Nicholson was like, I made my own bike. And Richie Strawn's like, I'm a bike guy now. I'm wearing a leather jacket. I think this is just put on them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that mm. this is the um I- identity crisis of the Australian man. Sure. In the sense that Channel 10 thinks that this is what's going to make this man look desirable to women uh, at, at that time. You know, it's that that the boys want to be him, the girls want to date him thing. Mm. Whereas I think you and I, Zave, in recapping Richie's season and Nick's season and Jimmy's season, were kind of like, motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is trying to build Conrad up as a bad boy to immediately prove that he's not oh, when yeah, we go yeah. into this yeah, really yeah, yeah. sensitive date. Like, I think it's the same as, like, the, oh, no, we're having a conversation about, like, bisexual uh, erasure and now we've got a jumping castle. We're like, <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, Conrad's he's a motorcycle boy, motorcycle boy, like, oh, no, bad news. Oh, wait, unbelievably gorgeous yeah. man full of just benevolent masculinity that everyone will fall in love with. Like I thought, I thought it was a nice bait and switch. I couldn't agree more. I don't think that they um, sell or even really attempt to sell him as a bad boy um, to, to all that much of an extent. I guess I'm talking more about those, those other bachelors from the past, but you're right. Like what, what, you know, the, the idea of this is um, they're hopping on this motorbike so that they can then hop off this motorbike and do a bunch of other really nice stuff. Um, Conrad ITMs, I'm so excited to get this single date. I mean, look at me. I'm six foot two, 100 kilos, and I'm giddy like a little schoolgirl. Um, I am not too proud to admit that I went on comparesizes.com to help visualize what it would look like with me and Conrad standing next to each other. Um, and it's good. <laughs> it's a great website. Um, we flash back to Brooke's motorbike date with, uh, with Brick Cummins. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> vibe, mm. vibe, true. Um, 
I bet a lot of people wish they could have bricked Cummins at, at that nah. point in history. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Brooke tells us she's going to make sure that this date is better than that one. Um, even though the other thing that they do on this date is to go to a place where they're going to be painting on each other, which is also the other thing that happened on that Nick Cummins Brooke date. Parallels. Um, yeah. Why photo shoots and painting? I, I think someone, <laughs> one of the Bachelor producers, thinks that painting is like a lot hornier than it is. Yeah. Like, someone's like their thing is like body paint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone else is like, I don't think that this is the mainstay of human sexuality that you think it is. <laughs> really, I'm not seeing it for this episode. No, trust me. It's gonna do it's gonna do huge numbers. This time. Yeah. You already said no to the chocolate bath. I need this. <laughs> Can I just say, my little heart melted. Like I was taken aback by how in love mm. with Conrad mm. I was in this moment and how genuinely beautiful this was. Yeah. And I was like, I literally, again, almost in tears, and it was embarrassing because my boyfriend was sitting next to me for this, <laughs> was on the phone to my mum being like, I think I love Conrad so much because he reminds me so much of Anthony, who's my boyfriend sitting next to me. He reminds me so much of him and it's just like really gentle and kind and like Anthony's sitting there like, What's happening? <laughs> what is going on? I don't understand. Like I'm, I'm flattered, but I'm not sure I get it. <laughs> not connecting the same dots that you. Yeah, maybe. Um, oh, are we on compare sizes right now? Yeah, I'm I've telling just done you, it's a good website. Size. Yeah, yeah. Look, so as you oh, can yeah. see, Conrad is the um, the green, and I'm the red mm -hmm. um, rectangle. And, it only lets um, you do rectangles. I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to mention that in the body of the text, but um. but look, as you can see, um, there's. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going on here, listeners. I'll screenshot it. We will. Um, we'll put it in the episode description. Probably, we'll find a way to put this on the internet. Look, I mean, and you can find it in the Bachelor of Arts just to feel those well. vertices wrapped around you. You know, just to <laughs> witness those sharp corners. Max, I'm gonna. I'm gonna need you to put in one sixty-one centimeters. I need to see. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. Um, item name. Matilda, um, one, six, one, um, times, uh, we're going to, um, we, it estimate, uh, yep, uh, 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 this is an uncomfortable thing for me, so we'll go with that, uh, and then, um, the average human width, uh, across the body is 20 centimeters, I've decided, so, um, look, this is what oh, it's it would all look three like of you. if we were all, oh, my... if, if we were a Conrad sandwich. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's yep. beautiful. Okay, do you That's want me to save me this for you? Emotional. Yes, right. There you I need go. that. For, not to quote Bo, but I need that for my personal collection. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for a bit of a pamper day, which will provide them with not only a much needed moment to get clean and comfortable, but also a key strategic opportunity to form an alliance and establish a game plan ahead of the next no. tribal council. No. No? <laughs> <laughs> I loved this. <laughs> I just adored that this happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, they start with a massage, so Conrad derobes, displaying a very good torso. Um, he, I, this, this thought was going back and forth in my head all week, and I, I mean, look, I was thinking about this all week for my own reasons, but do we reckon, I wonder if either of you guys have an opinion on this, that, like, Conrad has quite obviously waxed his chest before coming on the show, right? Mm. Does that increase or decrease the, like, queer energy that I think is somewhat radiating from him? I say, in, 
No, you know what? It's so hard to tell, right? Because like, I feel like guys do that to come on The Bachelor and do very heterosexual stuff. Like that is that is a, a behavior that we've observed in the past. But I, just, I mean, maybe I'm also just like, where are we sitting at with body hair in the year of our Lord 2021? Um, Can I tell you, I'm having a body hair revolution at the moment. <gasps> Talk to me. Okay. Sorry, that was too enthusiastic. Talk to me was, in like a normal way. <laughs> in like a normal voice? Yeah, I can yeah. do that. Yeah. So um, I went to the physio a few weeks ago. And what's been going on is that because I play basketball every day, she's like, you've done some damage to your knees and I'm going to have to shave them. And what happened oh. to me was that she, because she got a, she's got a strap them, you see. So she's gotten out the little... And Wait, she has, has to strap you down while she's shaving your knees. <laughs> In order to strap my knees, you're like she has kicking, to shave you're my like, knees. No, you got I can't the, take it. You got the harness at a dog groomer's. You're yeah, sort of hovering literally. above the table. Yeah, this is what's happening. She's spraying me with a hose. The whole thing. It's. I looked insane. Can you imagine a man like I'm quite a astute man. Uh, like it was hair down to just above the thigh, mm-hmm. and from below the knee down to ankle it was insane wow and so danny and i were like what are we going to do about this because this is not an acceptable way for any kind of man to be getting around to be for any kind of person to be getting around um you've got kind of like reverse knee pads i'm picturing yeah yeah exactly it's like reverse knee pads great episode title (laughs) so we waxed them yeah right and let me tell you i thought it was pretty good this is my personal review of of waxing was that it was really funny um (laughs) it was funny in the sense that it was really painful yeah and i was expecting the um steve carell 40 year old virgin kind of painful Mm. but instead it was just like sharp and hot and then it was over Mm. i'm i'm describing leg waxing to a listenership that is mostly women. I Hello. think we have a ninety percent uh, female audience. Yeah, something. What's like that. up? Yeah. Uh, and now uh, maybe I share a, a kindred experience with you. Um, except then we ran out of wax strips, so I had to um, oh. shave the other leg. So I had now have two legs growing back at very very different. You've rates. got a one of each situation. Yeah, and that's my mm. body hair revolution. That's beautiful. My body hair revolution is um just not not quite ready to wear shorts yet ah. uh, after mm. the pandemic, after the lockdown. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand yeah, we're that. going the other way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're doing so much sharing on the pod. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I feel more uncomfortable sharing about my leg hair than I did about like... <laughs> Talking about like deep sort of my insecurity with my own sexuality. Oh my god! And I love up world that we it live was in. like the two of you being like my deep insecurities about my sexuality, and I was like my legs. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, it what you know what? It's funny because when you were both sharing that, I'm like oh, I'm left out. I don't have a story to tell about this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Um. So they give one another a massy, massy sage, sage. Um, Brooke tells Conrad that she is self-conscious of her scar on her collarbone. And then Conrad just bends down and gives her a little kiss. And it's not a big, long, bachelory minute and a half pash, but I kind of love that it isn't. It occurs to me that it's actually so rare to see a little unshowy moment of affection like this on this show, even though it's about 
love and affection and all that kind of stuff. But like maybe later in the game when we're when they're actually like really bonded to one another, you see it a bit more. But I I really think this makes things feel a lot more real and a lot more normal, which is what this date is all about. I I loved it. And I loved yeah. his discussion about actually, I mean, I was a bit taken aback when like maybe like don't kiss people by surprise sometimes sure. but j- from then on in the day yeah and i did quite like and i mean brooke seemed to like it as well so he, he judged the vibe correctly the only reason but... i'm talking about it positively is because she responded so positively because you're right like it could be a real a real problem yeah yeah but also good uh, a good sort of sentiment to him that he was able to get that right yeah um yeah but, you know when they're they're sort of talking and discussing, you know, the fact that they're doing sort of like a girly thing. And then he was sort of talking about, you know, not finding, being able to have the energy to sort of care about these gender roles Mm. and not really feeling this sort of ultimate need to be totally masculine, which especially, you know, as someone who works on a work site, I don't think is something that we can just like easily dismiss. Not that, you know, work sites are, universally sort of toxic or anything, Mm, but, you know, mm. like someone who's also in a really highly dominated male field, Mm. I sort of thought that was so interesting and so unique. And it didn't feel, I was so worried that I, when we were diving into that conversation, that this was going to be like, oh no, he's a fake soft boy. And then Ah. it really came off as like super, super genuine. Like he was just genuinely sort of effeminate in like a really confident, sexy way you know what i mean yeah. like not effeminate isn't even the really the right word but yeah like comfortable with his own masculinity in like a very secure and not bravado-ish way anyway i loved him i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> I, I loved him he was beautiful i couldn't agree more but yeah they, they put on these fluffy headbands and uh they start painting clay face masks on each other conrad tells brooke he doesn't really fit in at work he's like i'm not like other tradies you know um and he says that with other partners, he's tried to be somebody he's not, but with Brooke, he can really be himself. Uh, he says he was lucky with his upbringing. Brooke says, you didn't really see people for like gender and things being like girl and guy. And uh, Conrad's like, no, no way. I see people who for who they are. My thinking is you can do whatever you want as long as you've got good intentions. You're not harming anyone in the process. Like, good on you. Go for it. Um, they joke about the future of Conrad and Brooke's day spa. Um I think it's just like silly and it's cute and they're just like bouncing off each other. Like this is before they even get into the like more serious sort of gender discussion. Um, I think it's just like, there's a very real chemistry here. Um, And then the buildup is really well executed so that when Conrad is rubbing the clay off Brooke's face, it feels like unexpectedly intimate. Mm. Um, And then they get under this weird outdoor camping shower together where Brooke ITMs, Regardless of sex, gender, whatever, it's something that I've never experienced before, which is like, wow, this person is going to do quite well on this show. Also, she has said that like four times, though. Yes, I guess you're right. That's true. She's experiencing a lot of what she has never experienced before. <laughs> That's true. Maybe she's just not been doing enough stuff. <laughs> uh, I can talk. Uh, check out my Bachelor <laughs> podcast. Anyway, um, they start <laughs> making out under the shower. Uh, and it is steamy enough to make you forget that the water is definitely room temp at best. 
And then they settle inside at a batchy couch. Brooke tells Conrad that she can take life a bit too seriously, but she really loved being taken care of and appreciated by Conrad. Like, my heart is melting. Um, she starts tearing up about this, saying in ITM, I've always been heavily independent, so I don't naturally gravitate towards people who can take care of me, and I can take care of my own. But Conrad wants to take care of me. I have no hesitations that Conrad could love me unconditionally, and that's what I want. Conrad says, I can be a sensitive guy, but I have tried to be something I'm not. That's something I've struggled with. I try to be more of a manly man. For me, during all of this, I want to be a hundred. I want to be completely a hundred percent myself. Brooke says, "You made me feel really vulnerable." To which Conrad says, "You're safe around me," which is like a huge, huge line. Brooke says, "I do feel safe around you. I think that's the scary thing." Conrad says, "I'm going to cry in a second. And yeah, I mean, I I feel like I have trained myself not to believe that this can happen. You know, like I feel like existing in the world that we live in. Like you get worn down and you like people were tweeting at Osher Ginsburg being like, please tell me that we are not being set up for a fall here. You know, like particularly, mm. I guess, within the world of reality TV where things can turn on a dime and it would be uh, it would be dramatically interesting for him to turn out to be shit. Um, so people are just like, you know, please tell me that Conrad exists. And apparently he's the real deal. Can I also say, like, I, I know we've been talking a lot, you know, within this series of like oh that's queer culture oh that's queer culture and we're obviously always almost always talking about like the women and the women Mm. and part of bisexuality is the element of queer culture that exists in sort of male female relationships and this is so queer culture like Mm. this is bisexual culture like soft golden retriever boys (laughs) finally being able to express their sensitivity and their comfort and not feeling like they need to be this sort of ultra masculine thing because they're with a queer woman who isn't like the kind of traditional roles of masculinity aren't the be all and end all for them for attraction. And like, I think that's such a pairing that we see, which is like genuine, sensitive, kind men and bisexual women who, you know, are usually like mean to them and they love it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like mean to them in a really fun way. You know, like that is such like an iconic part of like bisexual culture that we don't really talk about because often it, well, like it, it presents as straight. It's a right. it's a heterosexual presenting relationship. But um, yeah, again, like this made me feel like very seen yeah. in this episode yeah. as well. I uh, just want to quickly shout out to my beautiful bisexual girlfriend who is probably listening to this and going like, that's us, that's me. <laughs> uh, so Conrad and Brooke both say they're a little bit scared because it really feels like there might be something real here. Conrad says, I'm pretty excited to see what's ahead. Is that cringe? Is that clingy? And Brooke says, it's not cringy. She ITMs, I honestly truly believe that Conrad can be someone that I rely on. He doesn't want to get social media followers. He's not here to be the big alpha. He's not here to stand out. He's here for me. A quick word on social media followers. I know yeah. this. it feels like we're diverting a little <laughs> bit here, but I do, I, you know, everybody on this show wants to get social media followers. I think that it, we have to accept that that it is part of the deal. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a big part of the deal. But like, if you didn't want to get social media followers, you would simply delete your account. And nobody does that. And particularly when we're talking about somebody like Conrad, like if Conrad is the type of guy that we're being presented with here, um, which it seems like he is, maybe he should get social media followers. 
And like, maybe he could be a really good role model. I mean, not to mention like a good brand ambassador or whatever, but like, mm. I don't hate that. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I, I kind of feel like you, like, it, I don't know. I mean, it feels like a shortcut to social media followers or whatever, but like, I would so much rather follow someone on social media who seems to be a demonstrably good person than yeah. like someone who was just interesting or did a cringy rap on night one or whatever, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know what it is? Sorry, this has just occurred to me. Mm. I definitely think he deserves to get followers. I think he might be what we all hoped Kieran was. Mm. And that's the vindication in it, is that he is the genuine Kieran. Yeah. And it's like, if I have a choice between the two of them getting a following, I know definitely who I think will benefit humanity more. Right, by right, right. in the limelight. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it will be interesting to see how that bears out. Um, I'm also curious on some level, I feel like Brooke is kind of granting him that opportunity by saying in the show that he is not here for Instagram <laughs> followers. Um, earlier this year yeah. on The Bachelor, Jay Lau's inst- Instagram was mentioned within an episode and we charted a noticeable uptick in followers, even though in that context, Jay was fighting against an established narrative that she was there to get followers. But I'm going to be really interested to see, will Conrad reap the rewards of an ig drop that is for the right reasons and you will have to stick around for our social media gain segment at the end of this episode to find out anyway brooke gives him a rose and uh i wrote here brooke gives him a rose and offers him a rose i think there was only one uh anyway he deserves yeah give him two why not uh, Brooke gives him a kiss and offers him a rose. I assume, uh, maybe the other way around. Uh, Conrad ITMs. I, it feels like I've just found my forever partner. I mean, she's definitely a girl I could fall in love with. And Brooke tells him, you're not going anywhere. It kind of feels a little bit sinister when I say it. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Suddenly the Halloween music starts. Playing. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, the next morning, it's time for a product demonstration of these Hyundai hybrid four-wheel drives. And everyone's like, wow, cool car. There's so much room. Vroom, vroom. Is it even turned on? Yeah, it's a hybrid. I thought this is funny. Um, it's time for a group date with seven quite specifically selected people, but they don't read a date card. They don't rattle off their names. Um, it's Carissa, Jamie Lee, Kurt, Ryan, Tage, Emily, and Matt, who arrive at the entertainment quarter at Moore Park. And for some reason, they skip the Pixar-themed pop-up mini-golf course, which is really good. Um, they also skip the set where they filmed The Masked Singer, Australia. I was looking up other things that were open in late July of this year, and there basically weren't any because of the coronavirus. Uh, but instead, they pull up at the hypercarding track. You know, the track where hypercarting takes place. <laughs> Emily laughs when she learns that they will be driving hypercarts because she doesn't even have a license to drive a regular cart. I think... Th- she knows these are for teenagers, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think this is crazy that there is a room full of queer people and only one of them admits to not being able to drive. I feel like not being able to drive is a huge part of my own queer identity. I'm sure I know many people who feel the same way. I was staggered by this. Uh, Maybe it was a condition of entry on some level. I don't know. Well, you know that when you apply for the show, like you're you're supposed to like assert whether you can 
drive or not, right? I think like yeah. you have to provide. It's one of the sixteen thousand yeah. questions or whatever that they yeah, have to ask yeah. you. Yeah, especially if there's a car brand who's sponsoring the show, like they can't just have exactly. They can't put someone behind the wheel of a of a Hyundai. I bought one of those cars, by the way. You bought that car? Well, it was the year's previous model, but uh, I was on the TV and I was like, "Oh, that's the one." Wait, re- wait, really? Yeah. This show has got into your brain. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 I like to assume that they didn't check whether Conrad could drive a motorbike before they locked up with it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's like a regular bike. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one wheel in front of the other. <laughs> <laughs> I put on my bike one wheel at a time. <laughs> oh, what? You think Brooke's going to get more traumatized from my terrible bike riding than she was the last time? I don't yeah, think yeah. so. Good luck. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, so Osha makes some kind of complicated nonsense explanation for why they're in teams of two with one of them doing the toot toot chugga chugging and one of them doing domestic tasks like folding laundry, uh, or untangling, uh, Christmas lights and Brooke will give extra time to just one person. So, you know, you're not actually in teams of two. Uh, I feel like this explanation took longer than many things. Like, I feel like we spent more time on this explanation than uh, Rithu got on screen at any point in this show. Sure. Um, I just like to imagine the intern that they're like, could you tangle up these fairy lights, please? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody picks non-driver Emily, so she ends up with Brooke. Um, it's pretty, actually kind of a great result for her. I, I feel her saying sucked in people who didn't lose their logbook after doing like maybe 80, 90 hours of driving on their L plates and then didn't bother to get behind the wheel again for about 10 years. And uh, this is a universal experience. I'm sure we all relate <laughs> to that. Um, Tej drives very fast, but she accidentally hits a wall, slamming her neck back a fair bit. Um, I'm like replaying the footage over and over to see if it's a fake injury. Cause you know, sometimes that's a strategy. Um, that's what I was going to say. I assumed it was, but then that seems like a risk. The problem that I had with this, though, was that it didn't look at all dramatic. Yeah. And we went to this, like, cliffhanger ad break being like, what will become of Tej? And it was like, literally, it's this woman driving a bumper car mm. into the bumper, which is, by and large, the purpose of the bumper cars. <laughs> and for me, I was like, look, uh, I totally understand not a doctor either. She did, did definitely seem hurt by the end of it. Mm. But to place such emotional weight on, like, she's done the thing that she's meant to do. Hmm. I also incredibly funny to me. I, yeah, I also found it a little bit confusing because we have Emily who is the non-driver, and then we have Tej who gets in this accident. They look very similar to me, and I just got confused by it. I was like, oh no, the one who couldn't drive crashed into the wall. Like who, you know, how could that have happened? It's not what happened. Uh, but Emily, the non-driver, does seem to be struggling. She pushes her and Brooke into last place. And we see Carissa jump in to help Emily and Brooke with their uh fairy lights which is a nice thing to do. And it's not lost on Brooke who spotlights Carissa's generosity in an ITM. Uh, Out of nowhere, Tej and Matt turn out to be the winning team, but the extra time at the end goes to Carissa. They don't even get like a little trophy or something. I feel like, what's the point? Anyway, Uh, they settle in at a batchy couch and Carissa tells Brooke, this is actually one of my favorite things. I love like red wine and nibbles and things (laughs) like, you are in the right place, spirit. my friend. <laughs> um, Brooke says Carissa made a huge impression on her when they first met because she showed a lot of vulnerability, but now she's retreated a little. 
Carissa says, I'm not a forward person that's going to be really aggressive in pursuing someone. I do need to push myself out of my comfort zone. I think because we had that powerful connection on the first night, I am normally a really confident person, but when I have a crush on someone, I get a bit shy. And Brooke asks, what can I do in that situation? Because obviously I want to make you really comfortable. And Carissa says, honestly, this, it's just so nice to get to talk to you properly. I really like what Brooke is doing here. I feel like it's kind of rare that we see the lead focusing this much on making their contestants feel safe and comfortable. Carissa uh, accepts the rose from Brooke and then they have a kiss, but it's bad. This kiss is like, this kiss is like a recent Green Day album. (laughs) This kiss is like when you accidentally tear off one ply of a tissue. Mm. This kiss has about as much chemistry as I did in year 12. Yeah. I stopped taking chemistry in year 11. Okay. A little required knowledge for that. Okay. I tried to think of more jokes Mm -hmm. here, and that was apparently where I stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone else? No. Uh, (laughs) Perhaps sensing this, Carissa says, moving forward, I really don't want you to think I'm not interested in you. Is there anything I can do to let you know that I'm still interested? Brooke says, time is really precious in this experience. You kind of have to show me like, hey, I still like you. I'm still here. But there is an air of uncertainty between Brooke and Carissa for the first time here. I do have to say, I like that this thread is being properly set up. Like all too often on this show, including in the previous episode, it feels like people get arbitrarily booted with no real explanation. But like, you know, Carissa is not instantly booted off here. But I like the fact that their relationship has more than one act to it and that, you know, there, there is a complication here that will eventually be paid off by the fact that she doesn't win. I don't think she wins. But like, you know, when that happens, it will be the resolution of a, of a narrative thread, you know? Uh, let's talk about this cocktail party. Tej is off tonight, still recovering from her accident on the racetrack. That's two weeks in a row where someone has been unable to participate due to some kind of illness or injury. Is it too soon to say that this season has awakened an ancient curse? <laughs> This is what happens when you put bisexuals on TV. People get hurt. <laughs> You've angered the ghosts and ghouls. Um, Brooke arrives and we immediately hear narration from Carissa saying, Brooke has asked her to make a bit more of an effort. So despite the fact that she has a rose, she wants to try and get some more time with her. That's right. She wants to attempt a steal with rose in hand or swirl. It's going to catch on. I invented this term last week. It's absolutely going to catch on. I know it. And then suddenly, 12 crystal clear tings ring out across the courtyard as Osher Ginsburg emerges with green glass in hand. We are big ting heads here at BOH, but unfortunately, it's not all good news. (laughs) Osher is here to reveal the shocking and unexpected twist that was only teased in every trailer and promo leading up in the week to these episodes and also at several points throughout the episode itself. Intruders. As Osha takes Brooke away, one of my favorite things on this show happens. Sweet, precious himbo, Kurt, mutters the following to the group sitting by him. 
maybe we're going straight into a rose ceremony without any cocktail party and then having another cocktail party and then another rose ceremony. Oh, I love Kurt so much. <laughs> I rewound this like five times because it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. This is the first time that we're really properly hearing Kurt speak this season yeah. and he could not have picked a better time. Oh, this was At least he wasn't like, maybe there's another pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Osher's come in. Oh God, it's too too real. Um, <laughs> Osher announces the Delta variant. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, Kurt, then ITMs, there's all sorts of things twirling around in my head. I'm just like, how is how have they like bottled this? They haven't shown any Kurt to us yet. And in two sentences, he's my favorite person on the show. He's so good. Like, and he's incredible. There's incredible Tim Hanley energy mm -hmm, coming off him. Mm -hmm. Like Angie sees in Tim Hanley. Yeah. I just want Kurt to have his own spinoff. I want whatever I, I'm signing up to his newsletter, whatever he'll give me. <laughs> Osha tells Brooke, I know how seriously you take this. And I want to give you the best chance of finding someone you could spend the rest of your life with. So I have invited four new people to come and meet you tonight. What is the significance behind pretending that Asha had the idea to do this? No, I don't get it. It's like uh, Chris Harrison personally writing the fantasy suite cards. Yes. It's like, you just actually don't need to be responsible for this. I don't know why you are putting your name down for it. Uh, it's time to meet the intruders. And of course, it all happens in direct view of all of the existing suitors. So we get all of their reactions, a little bit of cheeky commentary. First up is Millie, a 22-year-old gym manager from Sydney. She ITMs that she wasn't going to apply for The Bachelorette, but Brooke's exactly her type, so she had no choice. Millie tells Brooke, I'm pretty set in my life, so I'm really just looking for that person that's going to be next to me. It's crazy. She's 22. You're not set. 22. I'm sorry. Um, this is a very standard old person who's watching Batchy type of thing to say, but I'm just like, come on. You, your life is going to be different to what you think. Um, she says, I do have one question for you. What's something that you're looking for this time that you didn't get before? And Brooke answers, someone who is consistent that actually wants to fall in love. A little bit of shade there, maybe? In her bio, she describes herself as cheeky, driven, and self-assured. Matilda, in our preview episode, we were talking about how you usually only get two positive and then one questionable adjectives. This time, Millie has gone the, the full triad i think that this positions her as a likely contender i think it's bold of you to assume that the producers think a self-assured woman is a good thing oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah you're I right think... that's a reflection on me isn't it i was also thinking yeah, i don't like know how if they tell you... cheeky is a good thing for them either i was about to say you know how but you 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 guys probably wouldn't um they say not to put ambitious in your bio if mm. you're oh, yeah. a, a female person or Too female scary. presenting person yeah. I mean, it's the season, but... Millie seems evil. Yeah. <laughs> Haunted? Who could say? <laughs> Haunted by feminism. <laughs> <laughs> the scariest Halloween edition of all. Um, any... The, the, the only other interesting things from Millie's bio is that she was has only been in love once before, and it was a girl that she met playing college soccer in the United States. You pick that as an interesting thing to talk about. Yep. Okay. Nice. Up next is Will, a 31-year-old landscaper from Adelaide. I can only assume that they are setting up some kind of landscaping rivalry storyline between Will and David. <laughs> but while Dave... Well, hang on. Let me get this right. 
while David rode in on a mower, Will has a mow on his face. Wasn't worth it. Great. <laughs> Brooke. I don't like Will. Um, mm. Just because he looks at, like the boys who went to the boys' school uh, across the road from my house. He has got mm. boys' school energy plastered all over him. Yeah, I think I tweeted out that he. I've never seen someone who looks more like they play cricket. <laughs> oh. <It's> so true. <laughs> Matilda, you are so spot on. One of the best tweets. Yeah. Um, he has a reignited passion for rugby union in his bio. Oh. Um, yeah, um, I, I'm going to guess that areas. one of those mm. is a winter sport and one of them's a summer sport, and it's definitely. Still not technically... Hey, we've got time for cricket, right? Yeah. Um, describe yourself in five words. Will says uh, mustache, 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 <laughs> and boring. Yeah. Brooke asks what has brought Will here, and he says, "Same as everyone else, I guess, to come here and meet you and hopefully find that someone." What an underwhelming answer. The correct answer is a limousine. Well, that's funny. I just feel like he has opted to have absolutely no element of personality here at all. <laughs> Feels like he has going home tonight written all over him at this point. Our third intruder is named Jess. Not the current Jess. We've now got an excess of Jess, I guess. The pre-existing Jess is not impressed. She's in a bit of stress, more or less, because she thought she was first in best Jess. Nevertheless, we must acquiesce that new Jess does impress in her evening dress and old Jess must suppress any possessiveness if she wants to progress in the batchy process. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm surprised I'm not getting clicks. My chapbook is coming out uh, 2023. <laughs> you butt out your cigarette at the end of that. It's great. You are ingrates. You do not understand my poetry. <laughs> uh, I wanted Jess to walk in and then steal other Jess's seat just to give her a bit of. Oh, oh that would be so good. That would be fun. She kind great. of does. Yeah, well, uh, new Jess brings Brooke a house key in a little box saying, I know that lesbians usually suggest to move in after the second date. And this is very funny, and it's also maybe the first time anybody has actually used the word lesbian on The Bachelor. I think this is the first time one of these people has specifically mentioned that they're a lesbian, and I think it's great. Yeah. Then in her bio, she says, as an out lesbian in the corporate space, mm. I try to educate others about queer women's issues. So Killer. there's a real, um, yeah, I think that's really cool. Love it. Finally, we meet Luca, a 25-year-old high school PE teacher from the Gold Coast who ITMs that he dreams of being a professional jiu-jitsu athlete. Luca enters with a sorry I'm late, and in explaining to Brooke that jiu-jitsu is, quote, ground fighting, and that she would, quote, <laughs> go all right, I don't know what any of this means, uh, he earns a few enemies, the other contestants, by making Brooke laugh. I feel like this would be a great opportunity for Tej. Like, it's a, it's a shame that Tej is not here because she would have really been an asset. We've seen her making Brooke's enjoyment of this process a priority on a couple of different occasions now. And it's a shame that she is not here to dilute this competitive energy. Um, even Sweetie Pie Conrad seems a little bit threatened in an ITM saying, what can I say? Not overly excited about this at all. My favorite was Kurt, who asked, firstly, do you think that I've got him covered for height? <laughs> <laughs> 
You absolutely need to go to comparesizes.com, Kurt. <laughs> Next moment you have access to it. Uh, I don't like Luca. I, I'm just going to put this out here now. Luca gave me real weird, bad energy in the way that Luca treats Kurt in the in the coming scenes is is kind of awful, I think. Yeah, yeah. Luke is cancelled. Luca is cancelled. He's giving villain vibes in a way that nobody has on this season yet, which I think you were alluding to at the top. Um, Definitely. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, but I, I'm not actually having fun with him. Like, I just, you know, maybe he will blossom into a more interesting kind of villain in the weeks to come. Um, that is assuming he sticks around. But right here, I'm, I'm not finding him very inspiring. And uh, speaking of villainy, Osher Ginsburg breaks it to the group that with four people coming into the mansion, four people will leave tonight. Let's talk about this because I think it really sucks. I was so sad about this because yeah. I was like, oh, we've got like barely anyone to begin with. Oh, well, oh, oh, good. They've got four intruders. Okay, never mind. Right. No. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, uh, I can't think of the word. What's that magic thing? Bait and <laughs> switch. It's a bait and switch. That's exactly what I mean. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think it is like, I think it's a short term benefit in the sense that like, if they have a big splashy rose ceremony with a high body count, like it will be interesting for that episode. But I think it detracts from our ability to connect to the cast and to the series. Like no matter who you like, the percentage of like the likelihood of one of the people you like getting sent home is much greater when they're sending home way more people. And it just feels pretty arbitrary. My problem with the four in, four out, I mean, my problem is also the four out, but my problem with doing both is like, at least if you just had a four out, you're like clearing out the chaff, you know, like you're yeah. you're yeah. clearing it. Like that was actually one of the things that Lockie's season ended up a really good result of the COVID, yeah. even though we kicked out one of our best villains, was that we cleared out all these people that we didn't care about. And so suddenly we had yes. more space, we had more time to actually connect with people. But it's like we're not just clearing out the sort of litter. Not that humans are litter. Um, now that I say <laughs> that word, I've actually regretted it. Now that we've cleared out the people that she doesn't have a connection they're not with. litter, we're- they're scum. <laughs> Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, I really, I thought the Beck, the redhead was going to be, I liked her. I got a, yeah. I got a good vibe from her, but RIP. Like, I don't know. What have we got? Cricket player, gym manager, you know, like we're not, it's, we just got people that we're going to kick out in two episodes time anyway, you know? Yeah. And I do feel like the reason that we don't care about these people is because the people who were editing this show knew that they were going to get sent home in this big batch. And so it wasn't worth introducing us to them on any real level. Whereas in the hypothetical alternate timeline where they weren't eliminated this week, then we could have been learning about them this whole time. You know, I also just feel like this makes Brooke look bad. Like I didn't, I didn't get the impression that that sending four people home was Brooke's choice. Mm. But I think it requires her to feign ignorance to how disruptive this is to everybody else and to the process. And I feel like for the rest of this episode, she kind of just has to be a bit removed from people's feelings, um, which seems to be not the focus of this season. Like I was, I was surprised that this happened. I think it just makes her less, uh, 
like they they weren't for people that you could tell were going home as soon as possible. You know what I mean? Like it didn't seem like this created an opportunity for her to get rid of four people who really needed to go. It was just like, well, this is how things are going to go, you know? There's been a couple of times where Brooke, and this is probably just because I have far too high standards for her because I think that she's a god among um, our sure. mortals. Yeah. Where she's played along with the producers a bit more than I've expected her to. Like the fact that she actually sat down with Jess on the love seat in episode one. And yeah. like the fact that even after Luca was a bit, well, we'll get into it in a second, but you know, she mm. kind of still entertains Luca mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, also I'm appreciative because it's like, I need, we need a show. We need some drama. And like the right. bachelor, mm. like, you know, the bachelor or bachelorette, the main person does have to be somewhat complicit in helping the drama along. And the best sure. bachelors and bachelorettes understand that role like that's why Ali and Becca whatever what I they've removed from my mind that's why they didn't work because they were too focused on just seeming good all the time you know yeah but I don't know I didn't I wasn't like delighted by Brooke right Hmm. in this moment either um the remainder of this cocktail party shows Brooke being tugged back and forth by everybody giving really no focus at all to any of the individual interactions uh, we see Kurt being taken away by Brooke, but we don't really see what they talk about. Um, I'm I'm annoyed by that because Kurt really popped for me for the first time on this episode for reasons we've talked about. But we're mostly focusing on the stuff that's swelling around between the contestants. So we're, so, we're shown ITMs where people are talking about how other people are talking about going and talking to Brooke and all that kind of stuff, which is like, I'm just not crazy about. Carissa tries to convince newcomer Luca that he doesn't need to go and interrupt but then he goes and does it anyway, and he tells Brooke and Kurt, who are having a chat, that he'd like to talk to her if she can find a minute. Luca ITMs, I'm not here to sit around and make friends. Uh, and after waiting a few minutes, he decides to go and interrupt the Brooke-Kurt conversation again. Which, like, I it, it frustrates me a little that we haven't heard any of, because I would I would care more about this if I really felt like Kurt and Brooke were, like, connecting, which I haven't really seen a lot of. Um, but I do, it effectively sells the like Luca sucks, you know? Yeah. For me, it's just the fundamental rudeness of the act. Yeah. I think they did Kurt dirty in the editing though. Cause after Luca yeah. comes up the first time you hear Kurt go, Oh, that was a bit full on. And you're like, Kurt, that was fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, fine. yeah. And I yeah. was like, Kurt, I, and then you, he comes up again and you're like, Oh, well clearly that shot was from the second time right. of him coming up. Mm, yeah, but then yeah. they've edited it to make him seem more jealous than he really was. Mm, and I was mm. like, justice for Kurt, you know, Kurt ITMs, lo and behold, Luca, AKA El Desperado comes in again. <laughs> Great. Uh, I think giving someone else a nickname is a guarantee to give yourself screen time. If you can think Definitely. of any opportunity to give someone else a mean nickname or even a funny nickname, you will get on the show. It works. Adored for this. Wow. This is true. It's true. Wow. Is Kurt Trump confirmed? Oh, Cancelled. No. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so that bikini back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your abs back in. Um so yeah, he tells him to give him a few minutes, after which Brooke and Luca walk away together. And I'm like, great, okay, so we've built up this thing with Luca. Now surely we'll see what he absolutely has to talk to Brooke about, right? And then we don't, really. We uh, see him say that he's there to get to know Brooke, and then we cut away again. And we focus on this really strange storyline with Carissa, who has somehow decided that she's really worried, now that the intruders are here, she won't be able to perform her swear. 
Can we go back? Please. I've I wanna I wanna acknowledge the swear. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it. All. But I wanna go back to the scene where Luca interrupts for the second time. And Kurt and Brooke say, Yep, okay, cool, won't be long. And Luca says, two minutes. Ooh, that's scary. As if to say, you have got two minutes, mm. Kurt, to wrap it up. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I hated that so it was just like the absolute villainous audacity mm. of that moment. I was like, it was it was it, uh, I don't know, it brought something visceral out of me where I was like, fuck you. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know what it was, but it Luke just is the it, antichrist to Conrad, I reckon. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. There's something in there that where I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't we don't play like that on this season. Almost. <laughs> yeah, you, you must it's be true. new here. Yeah, no. He, it's like he has wandered in from another season. Yeah, and he doesn't get something... what the vibe is, which obviously he wouldn't because yeah. he just got here. But like, you know, it is it is kind of like yeah, he's a he's he's born. Evil and he's like, and sweet precious. Do I have him covered for size himbo Kurt? It's like, <laughs> hold on, we're not doing that. I thought we agreed not to do yeah, that. Yeah, he said it, it was going to be different. So back to this abort. No, I shouldn't say aborted swear. <laughs> it's not a terminology I want to put into the lexicon. Uh, what what's a better way of phrasing that? Uh, it's a swear swerve. <laughs> it's a what? It's a swear swerve. Uh. This uh, incomplete swear is what we're talking about. Uh, so Carissa, she's not able to perform the, the steal with Rose in hand. She ITMs, at the end of the day, I want Brooke to fall in love. And if it's with me, that would be great. But I know there are people out there who have way stronger connections than I do. And to have four new intruders, it's just a lot to deal with. But like, because she's holding a rose the whole time, I just can't get on side with it. I found this is yeah. really weird. And this is the the tease that they use to like lead into the rose ceremony. Very strange. Not for me. Yeah. I'm sure. Will this Carissa will... go home? Yeah. Well, I... <laughs> right, right. Because that's what's implied. And it's like, there's no tension here. Yeah. And I'm sure this is going to be picked up again in the next episode. That's probably why it's the last thing they left us with here. Um, but it's just like, even, even just if you're editing this segment, put this a little earlier and end with like Kurt being bad. Because then you believe more, more like front of your mind is like, well, this Kurt guy can't stick around. And surely that means, you know, all Lu- the intruders Luca? can't. Oh, why did I say Kurt? Yeah, of course. I mean, Luca. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what I was saying. Anyway. Oh, um, no, no. You were right to correct me. I just. Uh, um, what, put, put Carissa first and then have Luca being an asshole. Yeah. Why not show this segment earlier when you're editing this part of the episode? Put the Carissa stuff earlier if you really need to include it, and we'll find out whether or not she can do her swear. Um, but then show Luca on his like bad boy like tirade or whatever, like being a real jerk. So that as we lead into the rose ceremony, you, the main thought in the front of your mind is like, well, this this Luca guy is not sticking around, surely. Um. I guess we're up to the rose ceremony. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on leading into this rose ceremony. There's a lot of narrative strings. You've got the novelty of fresh blood. You've got a bunch of interruptions at the cocktail party. You've got Carissa's bad kiss. You've got, you know, uh, the, that's all the things I could think of, apparently. I st- stopped typing mm-hmm. mid-sentence. 
just cut this part. There's like three um, different love seats. They're half built. Conrad's getting desperate. <laughs> uh, Conrad, Carissa, and the still absent Tej are all safe with roses, but four people have got to go. And as the names are called, you keep waiting for at least a couple of the newbies to get sent home. And shockingly, none of them are. The rose order is as follows. Kurt, Luca, Millie, Holly, David, Steve, Ryan, Will, Jessica, and Jamie Lee. So it is a big, pretty arbitrary farewell to Jess, Matt, Emily, and Beck. They farewell the rest of the cast, but as they're saying goodbye to Brooke, we hear narration from Carissa, of all people, who says, I don't know how to feel at this point. There's a lot of really big personalities, and there's so many people that have really strong connections with Brooke. It makes me feel like I can't compete with others in the group. I think it's only going to get harder. I was not prepared for this at all. And I'm like, what exactly were you not prepared for? Other people yeah. going home? Very, it's very, very odd. odd. I think so. I think what's being implied here is that she's not um, prepared for intruders. I do think that this is, you know, like we're trying to thread this needle into next week when presumably there will be more tension between Carissa and Brooke. Mm. But I want to say to your point that you were surprised that none of the intruders went home i kind of wasn't like i feel like this is the point now where we are probably two three weeks in and brooke has had a chance to try and establish connections and have conversations with a bunch of different people and i think that i admired that she sent home people that she had established probably that there wasn't a connection there with over people who were new that night yeah but also (laughs) (laughs) i mean once again it's like I am annoyed at Brooke for keeping Luca, but also I'm like very grateful because he'll like sustain, I don't know, what can he possibly last two more episodes before she kicks him off? You know, like he'll be good drama while he's there. Um, Mm -hmm. I also, um, can I say, uh, I have a theory about why Carissa was the way she was, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't think it's that she wasn't prepared for intruders. I don't think she wasn't prepared for the show. I think she is possibly the most gorgeous, beautiful person on earth that I've ever seen. That could well be true. And she's not ever experienced people not chasing her before. So she's never had to go after someone. She's never felt insecure in a relationship before. And then all of a sudden she's dealing with having to be the one to make an effort, which is as a shy but incredibly hot person, she hasn't had to do before. Uh, That's a good point. Yeah. So let's talk briefly about the people who are leaving here and just kind of eulogize them a little bit. Firstly, we have Jess, whose departure brings the Jess quota back down to a level that can be maintained. Respectable. Yeah. I honestly feel like if I were, and God forbid I ever become, but if I were the lead of a Bachelor show, one of my top priorities would be cutting down on double name. Well, you know, actually, you know what? I'm I'm thinking about it more, and I'm like, I'm bad with names. So honestly, if I could have all of all people with the same name, that might be an advantage. Mm. Um, but if there were two Jesses running around, I just feel like I wouldn't be able to keep track. So I understand that. Um, and I do feel like her farewell was earned because she did commit a very serious chair-based offense on night one. So Jess only gained 53 new followers on Instagram this week, meaning she is sitting on a total of 723 new followers from her time on the show. Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. 54. Nice. Beautiful. Um, Actually, unfollowing for the love seat. I haven't (laughs) (laughs) 
Next was Matt, who committed the cardinal batchy sin of rapping on night one. Mm. Brooke has taken like r- ripping. Am I right? Do you mean like spooky wise? Like R.I.P. Like oh, that's no, not bad. No, yep. Rapping, but like rapping a mummy. Oh, oh so that's great. Brooke has taken this very large pumpkin and scooped out his perfectly edible insides, carving into his flesh to create a gruesome specter that will frighten passers-by. Do you remember when he dressed up as a pumpkin? Mm. Yeah. Um, Matt gained just 41 followers this week, even fewer than Jess bringing his total since his profile went public to 292 new followers. It's, we talk about not listening to the ratings, Mm. but listening to the Instagram followers is also, it's not totally uh, illuminating to the sort of popularity of the show. No, no. no. We've certainly seen better numbers than these. I mean, the people who are going home don't typically do super well, um, particularly in these early rounds. Um, I was a bit surprised by Emily's departure. Um, I don't know if you guys were as much as me, but like she earned a group, uh, she earned a rose on the group date of the previous episode. Um, she wasn't specifically given the rose by Brooke, which I kind of think is interesting. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like she had good energy. I feel like she had good narrator. You know, I feel like the producers probably liked working with her cause she was pretty malleable. She, Entered with a small wet horse named Elvis. Uh, a moistest pony. What was that horse doing? <clears throat> How'd you get so wet? Uh, she wasn't very good at driving, and so that is why she had to go. Emily gained a paltry 59 followers this week. Uh, incidentally, speaking of both Elvis and the number 59, 1959 was the year that Elvis was introduced to the martial art of karate. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> A fun fact. And so wait, at what point did he wet the horse during that? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. I, I do not have a very, what is the belt structure? I, I'm not trained in the, the ancient art of karate, so I, I do not know. Those secrets uh, held from me. Finally, we said goodbye to Beck. Beck mainly filled a narrator. Beck mainly filled a narrator role in the first two episodes, but she had a very husky voice and a energetic disposition. But I think the thing that I'm going to remember most about Beck is that no one has her hair. No one has her <laughs> bone structure. No one has her body. She's still different. She's still a fucking ranger at the end of the day. And that sucks. But she will be a ranger until the day she dies. And you don't have her blue eyes or brown or her green eyes that can literally stop traffic. And you sure as shit don't have her hair. This week, Beck gained 115 new followers on Instagram, bringing her total up to 615. Next week on The Bachelorette, I learned I learned this week that among the sponsors and brand partners of this season is the upcoming 2022 movie Top Gun Maverick. And I was no. very I was very curious about how the fuck they were planning to work that in. Although as far as like military airplane action drama movies go, it's certainly one of the more queer coded ones. Um, But yeah, next week, Brooke and Luca will have a single date where they go up in a plane and presumably do loop-de-loops and stuff. And we'll also see the Caressa drama developing as well. Much to look forward to. Total vibe if they go skydiving and Brooke just lets him go. Like just as (laughs) land the plane. We Sorry, don't Luca, you can go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he jumps. She's like, I'm good, actually. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. There's only one parachute. That's such a bummer. I'm so sorry. Oh, and I have it. Oopsies. <laughs> Is this attached to me? Oh, no. Um, Kurt's like, you have two minutes. <laughs> As always, we're interested in keeping a close eye on the movements of the participants of this season on Instagram, as that is where the gameplay enters its next stage. We're curious about what the numbers can show us about how the audience is reacting to this season, what it might predict about what's to come, and of course, who our next anti-vax conspiracy theory spreaders might turn out to be. This week was another big one for our lead, Brooke Blurton, who gained a healthy 5,008, sorry, a healthy 5,843 new followers. She has now gained 23,821 since preseason and is on track to eat to and is on track to hit at least 300k by the end of her run. My main hope for Brooke's Instagram is that I would love to see if she might be able to dethrone the Honey Badger, who currently has like 447k, which I reckon could happen if the season picks up a bit of steam around the finale depending on what the outcome is. That's like my ultimate goal. I would love to see that. Uh, anyway, here's how the contestants are doing. In first place, again, this week is single date recipient and reminder that maybe not every single man is completely terrible. Conrad BN Stevens, who racked up an impressive 4,002 followers this week, bringing his gains since preseason to 6,176. That's twice as many followers uh, as he got last week and four times as many as his runner-up, Holly Langford, whose salsa single date and bi erasure vulnerability gained her 1,002 new followers this week, bringing her up to 2,145 from her season so far. And in third place, a complete shock to me, an absolute crazy surprise Jiu-Jitsu bad boy and late game intruder Luca Ferraccio, whose 15 minutes of screen time, flat out bad vibes and weird energy, earned him 758 new followers. And I should add, that's just between Thursday, when I recorded his data for the first time when he was announced, and Saturday. That's a lot. Like, that's quite a bit. Yeah, and I don't know what is driving people towards him. I'm getting the impression that some people are finding him physically hot, which you can't discount. No. Well, if you maybe if you watched it on mute, like he's got a he's got a like a bigness that I don't think is present in the rest of the cast. Oh, we'll see. I don't I don't see physical attraction. I'm just attracted to the person who they are in the inside. So. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> so Not I about be, I wouldn't be genitalia. Able to know. Yada yada. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, maybe it's just the promise of the sky high single date next week. Do people follow based on the next time on dot, dot, dot? I think people are hungry for a villain, honestly. Like, mm. I think, I think as much as I hate him, um, not personally, just his edit. I'm sure you're nice, Luca. Probably not. Um, but like <laughs> people are like, they're hungry for content and his content. Like, I'm happy he's here. I hate him, but I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the complexity of it, and you've explained it really well, I think. We haven't quite hit the negative slump yet, although week one pest Bo and night one guy Johan only received nine and 29 followers, respectively. Also, a rough week for Ryan. And when I say the word Ryan, 
what is the image that pops up in your head? Can you picture this man? No. Not good, right? He is still on the show. He is one of the people who marveled at the Hyundai car that they got into. He was like, <laughs> is it really turned on? Honestly, um, good way to get airtime, though. Like, if what? you're desperate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, I love Starbucks brownie pods. <laughs> oh, a blondie? Don't mind if I do. Like, you'll mm, get Yum, yum. I shouldn't, but I will. <laughs> Especially because also if you show the willingness to do that within the show, you're also showing brands that you're willing to do it when you get off the show, which is mm-hmm. big. Uh, he racked up 37 followers, which is fewer than anybody else who is still in play, including all four of the intruders, some of whom are almost as anonymous as he is. I was hearing so many rumors that like Ryan was going to be the villain of the season and he's just got absolutely zero airtime. He's just the, he's the dust cloud of the season. He's the nothing. I'm of the waiting season. for a, um, a great big explosion from Ryan. I feel like that's what we're getting. We're going to get one episode where Ryan goes ham and then goes home. <laughs> like in a, in a good way or in a scary way? Scary way. Okay, good. I was just hoping maybe, it might be on theme. Maybe Ryan's one of the ones that has the affair within the mansion. Oh. I, my theory is that that might be Luca's big play. <gasps> that might be, you know, we're setting him up to be a villain and then he will do the commit the ultimate act of villainy. <laughs> I'm down for it's it. Just a guess. Yeah. I'm down for it. See it. Yeah. Yeah. Luca, bring me home. You know? Not physically. Bring bring the no. season home. I really yeah. don't want to go anywhere with Luca, you. Luca, please go home on your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> without, without us. <laughs> Listeners, we are coming to the close of another episode of The Bachelor of Hearts podcast thank you so much for being here staying with us as we recap these episodes huge thank you to matilda bosley thank you we really appreciate you being here thanks so much for coming on thank you so much for having me i feel like i it's nice to just just talk my little heart out about this show (laughs) that captures my mind and all of my energy all the time you can find her on twitter at matilda bosley thank you matilda thank you so much well, Zavi. Well, Maxi. Or should I say, unwell, Axi, <laughs> or something? I fucking forgot. Uh, never mind. It is the scariest episode of the Bachelor of Hearts podcast, and we do draw it to a close here. Before we get out of here, I want to say to you, first of all, if you want to join the conversation, if you want to have some friendship, you can find us on the Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group on Facebook. You can also find us on socials, wherever you are, at BOH Pod. Uh, what else you got? Have you got anyone to shout out to? I quickly want to spotlight that our finale episode of Ancient History is going to drop this week. Great. If you are listening to this and you haven't listened to that miniseries, we strongly recommend you give it a go. We've been diving deep, you might say, into the first ever season of The Bachelor in the US from 2002. It has been so much fun. Um, we have been going very hard i think i think we've been really putting in the hard yards on those uh we've been putting them together and i think you're gonna like the finale episode i think we're gonna hopefully maybe do some more of these in the future at some point we might talk for about that sure later. yeah um but yeah uh uh check out that series and outside of that i do just want to say a quick hello and shout out to the safe heads <laughs> i love you very much we, we do love them oh, wait should be should they be like the grave deads Oh, that's great. That's extremely good. That's really good. Shout out to the Grave Deads. I hope you're enjoying the week after Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's about all, really. That's it. Anyone you want to shout out to? 
no, no, flat no well, for me. Fuck you, Max um, Nation. <laughs> <laughs> we do hope you're well. And uh, there was someone we... I realized Max Nation is, mm. of course, the name of a baby child. There was yes. a baby Xavier. Oh, really? Do you remember? It was uh, Harry Xavier. from last year's Bachelorette. Or maybe, was it before? Some guy who, Harry. who, who he was on the show as a package deal. He was like, if you date me, you're going to get to have my little baby. And the baby was named Xavier. Oh, yeah. I want them to meet. Yeah. I want them to fight. And I want them to record a podcast together. I want them to now kiss. Was there a woman in between Andrew Kent and the two from last year? There was, right? Yes. Uh, of course. There was. And that woman's name was. Because that, that was the season. That was the season with Harry. Listeners. Hang on. We'll leave it with you. <laughs> no, 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 no. My integrity we depends on you. this. Angie Kent. There was no season in between. There wasn't. There was not. Okay. Well, Harry, if you're out there. Wait, hang on. Find out Please identify yourself. Harry was not on that season. Hang on, let me look. Let me look. He was on the twins. I'm sure of it. Oh, was he? Let me see. James Harry Harris, a carpenter. A carpenter? Listen, that season has dissolved into a black hole. Season oh, six dear. of The Bachelorette simply didn't happen. This is like a oh, Mandela effect no. thing. We all have a shared memory of this thing existing, but we can't point to any specific details about it. Yeah. We're on a separate yeah. timeline right now. It's like Dharma and Greg. It's just the like Dharma, Dharma and, Greg and initiative. Greg, in the sense that I'm sure that there is something called Dharma and Greg, but I couldn't tell you a single thing about it. Everyone remembers it. Jenna Elfman. What else do we know about it? Harry was in it. With that said. Is Jenna Elfman related to Danny? Oh, I think so. Huh. I'm going to have to look that up. You know what's going to be scary about this episode is the file size. I'm oh, telling Jesus you, this Christ. is a long one. Uh, um, so Jenna and Danny Elfman are tangentially related. Jenna married Bodie Elfman, who is Danny Elfman's nephew. Great. Listeners, we love, we love you. you. Can we say good boo? Goodbye. Good boo. Damn it, shit. <laughs>